From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, new IOL ideas at the 2016 ASCRS annual meeting. But it's really not so much uh, the contrast, it's really the amount of light you're getting. And especially with driving at night, I mean, I was amazed that there's just a lot less light. First this. Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org slash learn. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the ASCRS annual meeting in New Orleans. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Anjali Borade on angle closure glaucoma management by means of lens extraction, and from Mark Packer on what the multifocal IOL patient actually sees. I'm here with Anjali Baradic. Anjali, you are speaking on an interesting, interesting topic. Uh, let me sort of set things up because I have... I have patients exactly like the ones that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So someone comes into the office with narrow angles, uh, not, not in occlusion, headed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, someone for whom if there were absolutely no cataract, I would be doing a laser iridotomy. Someone for whom, if there were a substantial cataract, I'd be taking the cataract out, and that by itself would deepen the chamber to the extent that I'm that I'm not going to have to worry about angle closure. Although there may be other issues with the angle, it's not a topic for us today. But there are a lot of patients who come in with cataracts that don't really meet my criteria for cataract extraction based upon the cataract alone but who have narrow angles. What is the consensus with these patients? Do we, uh, to put it generously, advance the date of the cataract surgery to, to deal with the narrow angles? Or do we say, well, cataract surgery is not, not justified, and this is something that has been looked at? And continues to be looked at. Tell me about it, please. Yes, no, that's an excellent question, and there's still a lot of debate. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, results of a study which might uh, give us more support one way or the other. So, right now, you know, I think there's enough evidence that if a patient with primary angle closure and primary angle closure glaucoma has a visually significant cataract, uh, you may proceed with an LPI, and if it's medically uncontrolled, performing cataract surgery for, for further pressure lowering uh, is 
appropriate. Um, and even there was data suggesting that cataract surgery as primary treatment in patients with primary angle closure and angle closure glaucoma with a visually significant cataract is appropriate as well. But as you mentioned, the question comes into if a patient comes in with a non-visually significant cataract, uh, is it appropriate to proceed? Um, I think typically we you know, doing LPI would be would be always a good option, and if they're if that's medically controlled, cataract surgery is probably not indicated. However, it's uncontrolled. There are some studies that suggest that removing the cataract, even in a non visually significant cataract after an LPI, um, there has been data has showed that cataract surgery helps lower the pressure more than an LPI in these patients by increase, um, um, increasing the anterior chamber depth. However, as primary treatment uh, for angle closure, angle closure glaucoma, removing a clear lens or a non-visually significant cataract, there still is debate. Um, There has been a Cochrane review done looking at studies on this and that you know they weren't able to perform a meta-analysis because there was not enough evidence to support or there were not enough uh, randomized trials of high quality to support one way or the other however um, there is a study um, it's called the eagle study which aims to to look at the effectiveness of early lens cataract extraction in patients with the primary angle closure and angle closure glaucoma um, this study is a uh, multi-center clinical trial across the world, over 31 sites, um, and the results haven't yet been published, but you know, we, we really anxiously await the results because I think it'll really, um, really give us some more conclusive evidence of whether early lens extraction is an appropriate treatment for these patients with primary angle closure and angle closure glaucoma. With a lot of studies like this, the, the inclusion criteria are as important as the the results because you can only view the results in light of of the patient studied. What are the inclusion criteria for the Eagle study? Mm-hmm. Um, so this the study is patients um, greater than fifty years of age who have primary angle closure glaucoma or primary angle closure with over one hundred and eighty degrees of iridotrabecular. T- um, um, or peripheral anterosynechiae. Um, these patients um, are randomized um, to either uh, having an um, LPI versus a clear lens cataract extraction. Um, and so, yes, but you're, you are correct. The inclusion criteria is very uh, uh, is very important, and um, hopefully, you know, looking at the primary cataract extraction in these patients will be will be really helpful for us. In the context of, of your own practice, and of course, I'm not thinking about you, I'm thinking about my patients, mm-hmm. um, h- how do you manage the, these patients with the understanding that there's an additional option that we haven't mentioned, uh, which is peripheral iridoplasty, laser iridoplasty? How, how do you manage these guys? Yes, I mean, I think... Um LPIs and peripheral iridoplasty are excellent options. Uh, but oftentimes, I will do an LPI first. Um, if the patient isn't a great cataract candidate, then I think per, uh, peripheral iridoplasty is an excellent, um, excellent uh, choice as well. Uh, the other option is gonioseniculosis. Um, however, that's often done in conjunction with cataract surgery. Right. Um, but in non-surgical options, I think the LPI, laser, laser peripheral iridoplasty, and um, I mean iridotomy as well as iridoplasty are excellent options in a patient with a non-visually significant cataract. 
Well, you know, the, 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 this is uh, uh, like the, the, those old serial movies where, where you're, you're going to leave us hanging on the uh, cliff uh, where, we, where we don't know uh, what the ending is. But uh, in, in a way, I'm, I'm glad for that because that's going to give me an excuse to speak with you at a, at a future meeting. Um, Anjali, thank you very much for uh, bringing this topic to us, uh, for being so very generous with your time with us today. Thank you very much. I'm here with Mark Packer. You know, Mark, when I have patients who are coming in with whom I'm discussing the possibility of a multifocal lens, I go over the, 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 the difficulties that some people can have with nighttime driving when I'm speaking with my, my, my colleagues. And, you know, a little spoiler here, I'm a complete nerd. You know, I'm happy to talk about, you know, point spread functions and modulation transfer functions and contrast sensitivity curves. You know what I don't know? I don't know what it's like to be that patient with a multifocal lens, and you do. I'm not suggesting that you have a multifocal lens in the eyes, but but, but uh, tell me how come you know this and and how you figured it out. Right. Well, I think this is exactly the point. Is it's really hard to know, and we're familiar with looking at the contrast sensitivity curves, and you can see that it's lower for a multifocal, and you can look at the modulation transfer function, and you can see that on the graph. Clearly, there's some loss. But how do you know what it really looks like? So we thought it would be a good idea to better inform surgeons, and maybe patients also, um, by doing some videography. So we designed a dual camera system. And uh, what this system comp is composed of two cameras with identical settings side by side. And in front of those cameras are wet cells. And we can put any type of intraocular That's lens so cool. in there. Thank you. Uh, that we want multifocal, accommodative, toric, whatever. Uh, and then in front of that, we have an ISO model cornea, so standard model cornea. And then we took this camera system you know, out on the town. We did some night driving. Uh, we went to a golf course. We went out to the beach, uh, you know, and just to see what it looks like. And it's really fascinating because I always thought about loss of contrast, but really the thing that, that jumps out at you is the loss of luminance. Really? I mean, yeah, it's, first of all, with a, with a bifocal diffractive, you know, about 20% of the light is just lost to destructive interference. It's just gone. So you look at these two pictures, and in one, you're driving along an avenue at night. This was in Southern California. There's palm trees. There's a nice blue sky. In the other one, you're like, where are the palm trees? Where's the sky? It's just dark. Uh, it was interesting, too, that uh, in terms of halos, uh, that, that was not that prominent. I mean, you can see that sort of the taillights and the headlights have a little bit of, of an expanded look with the multifocal, but it's not like you're seeing these huge halos. Um, but what you do see is just things are a little bit duller. And some of the colors also are, are shifted. Um, now, I think, you know, in the human eye, there may be some retinal adaptation. Or right. We always talk about neuroadaptation. Right. And uh, how people love multifocals because they don't have to wear glasses, et cetera. But there's a real trade-off here. And I think it's important if we can give surgeons and patients up front, you know, a better feeling for, for what we're really talking about. So uh, how has this informed your decision-making process and your, for want of a better word, your interview of the patient to determine whether that patient's going to be happy with a multifocal? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And we know that multifocals will provide the highest uh, chance of complete spectacle independence. So, you know, in the Technus multifocal study, they had 88% never wear glasses. In the Restore uh, studies, it's about 76% never wear glasses. So that's, that's something to offer. And I think people have to be really motivated. And if they're really motivated not to have to wear glasses, they can adapt. 
Um, but I think it's good for them to know what they're up against. And this gave me a deeper appreciation because I, I've always thought about it's the halos, uh, maybe starburst, some kind of dysphotopsia, and then the loss of contrast and the scenario I've often given patients is you're driving in the fog. You know, how soon do you see that truck? You know, do you see it when you have time to stop or do you see it when it's too late? I mean, that's sort of the thing. But it's really not so much uh, the contrast. It's really the amount of light you're getting. And especially with driving at night, I mean, I was amazed that there's just a lot less light. And we know they did night driving simulation studies for all these lenses. And, you know, they're safe as far as that goes. Um, but I think, you know, the degree of confidence you have driving at night really has a lot to do with how much you can see. Um, these are people mostly with cataracts, uh, significant cataracts coming in. Uh, they've already are in that situation. They've lost a lot of, uh, of light transmission. They've got more scattered. They've got loss of contrast. And so the desire for clear, crisp vision, I think, is, is paramount. And I, I, I detect my values have shifted a little bit in this regard. That's so interesting. That is so interesting. So do, do you, are, are you totally turned off to these lenses or, or are you just more selective or, or? Yeah, I think more selective is, is, is the answer. I think you know, we don't have the perfect accommodating lens. That, no, that of yeah. course, is the holy grail, and someday we'll have that, perhaps. Uh, it can't be too complicated either because we have to be able to put it in the eye and also take it out, by the way. Um, so that's very important. Given what we have today, it's always a compromise. There's always a trade-off, and I feel like this tipped the, the balance a little bit more toward the optical clarity side of the equation and away from the spectacle independent side. Now, one of the lenses we tested uh, was the TrueLine Toric, which is really a monofocal, mm -hmm. and it has a little bit more uh, spherical aberration, so it gives you more depth of focus. Um, one of the other lenses we tested was the Symphony, the extended depth of focus oh, and lens, what did you find is, with that? which is not yet approved in the U.S., of course. Um, um, but is available outside the U.S. It behaves much like a multifocal does. Really? Yeah, so you still get that, that sort of darker appearance at night. Um, and I've seen patients with the symphony, and I would agree. They have the benefits. They have great near vision, but they also have that loss of contrast, and it behaves more like a multifocal in our studies. That is so, so interesting. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for doing this study. Uh, I want to thank you very much for sharing it with us and for being so very generous, Mark, with your time with us today. Great. Thanks very much. Anjali Borade is Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Mark Packer comes to us from Boulder, Colorado. Ask questions of Dr. Borade, Dr. Packer, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.